0: welcome back to our podcast within a podcast pottering around the forbidden forest of mangum reeds we are three muggles who really just want to steal fr- food from the kitchen and celebrate but have to sol- solve another mystery because the adults can't um, i'm sarah and i'm joined by my co-hosts as always bj and spencer how are you all doing
1: I feel like you just encapsulated my life with that description of my muggle experience. But, uh, yeah, doing fine.
0: Uh,
2: quite well, quite well. Um, we have a, a chapter this week. It, um, there are words like, on a page. Yeah, there are words on a page. Um, we read them. It, I've, yeah, I read them. And it was sort of interestingly titled um, because uh, Spencer had been teased with the this person's name, Nicholas mm-hmm. Flamel. Mm-hmm. Um, in past. And I guess I I kind of expected more of it. I, you know, I sort of have vague memories of how the book goes from, you know, the two decades ago, essentially, that I read it. Um, and I expected more out of this chapter, I guess. And I just, I feel like we just got like a very, uh, a papering of, of a lot of different things here.
0: Yeah, we talked a little bit off air that this seems like um, a little bit of a setup chapter. Not mm-hmm. a whole lot of action here. Not a whole lot of sense here. Although we do get some information, I suppose.
2: Yeah. I'm very curious to hear what your summary in what is it, two, five minutes or uh, two I don't, minutes. I don't I have no idea the shortest amount of time that you could take to actually cover what goes on here, even though nothing happens.
0: Well it's a minute I and mean, fifty seconds.
1: <laughs> oh, under two.
0: Well under, Spencer. All right. Did you say
1: a minute 50 or a
2: minute 15? Oh, a minute 50. Let's be (laughs) be very clear. I
0: still have things to say. Um, There are
2: plenty of words that are under the invisibility (laughs) cloak that she's going to sneak out at the last second.
0: That's right. Um, So we have a couple of segments that we always do. I do my under two minute recap. um, And then BJ has some interesting wordplay to talk about although there's not any wordplay in this chapter so
2: we'll figure something out we'll
0: figure something out um spencer has his newbies notes in which he talks about all of the things that he is someone who has never read harry potter before uh thinks <laughs> as he reads <laughs>
1: <laughs> pretty much yep um
0: i award house points that are mine and mine alone to give and then uh bj and spencer pester me with questions that are fine i guess <laughs> and
1: you've consented to this
0: <laughs> that's what we do here so are we ready to get going
1: i have the time i have the stopwatch okay training.
0: all right so this is the chapter nicholas flamel so here we go with my recap if i can get to the beginning of it all right so when we left off before um Harry had sort of left behind the mirror of Arized and now he can't stop thinking about the mirror and has many nightmares with green light and cackling laughter. Hermione, on the other hand, can't believe that they didn't find Nicholas Flamel over Christmas, but we have more important things to think about because it is Quidditch time again. And Oliver Wood informs Harry that Snape is going to referee the game, which is bad for Harry on all kinds of fronts, not least of which is that if Gryffindor wins, they, take, they overtake Slytherin in the house championship. Much hand-wringing ensues while Ron and Hermione play wizard chess in the common room, and then Neville hops in and has very clearly been got at by Malfoy with a leg-locker curse. Hermione sets it right, and Harry gives Neville a chocolate frog to make him feel better, but when Neville gives Harry back the chocolate frog card, lo and behold, Spencer, you called it, there's Nicholas Flamel. Uh, Talked about as the maker of the Philosopher's Stone on Dumbledore's card. So Hermione goes and gets a giant book that is notably about sort of pretty far back in the past, witches and wizards, and they read about the whole thing. Gold, immortality, etc., etc. We get to the Quidditch match, and literally the only strategy is Harry, catch the snitch as soon as possible so Snape can't jinx you or mess up the score too much. But it turns out Dumbledore has come to the match, so it's better. Um, but while the match is going on and Malfoy and Neville and Ron get into it, because of course they do, um, Harry catches the snitch in five minutes flat. And after the match, Gryffindor goes to celebrate, but Harry notices a weird figure on the way to the Forbidden Forest while he puts his gear away, so of course he follows on his broom. And while perched on a tree, he sees Snape and Quirrell meet. Quirrell is in a bad way. Snape is badgering him about when he'll know all of the enchantments guarding the Sorcerer's Stone. It is not looking good. Harry makes it back to the common room to debrief, and Ron rightly points out that if Quirrell is the last line of defense, they're all doomed.
1: Minute 55. Well done. Thank you. Impressive.
0: Thank you. Um,
1: it made for an, as you, as you it went through a your description, it was an interesting hodgepodge of different scenes kind of put together. It's like she had three or four scenes that she needed to get done <laughs> mm-hmm. to present things that will happen after but none of them maybe merited their own chapter despite the fact they're vastly different things. So it yeah, it they're they're jumping around a bit to make this chapter happen.
2: Yeah, I guess it sort of reminds me um I don't know if you've ever played any uh tabletop role-playing games, but they're kind of like summary things that you say to get people to like do things um or m- make sure that they know about certain things. Um, things like that to sort of carry the story along when you're running the game. And I feel like that's what this chapter was to like get the readers to be like, oh, there's a philosopher's stone that I need to be interested in. Okay, (laughs) that's a thing. Um, You know, I need, something needs to happen. So I'm interested in Snape. Okay, and we need to sort of continue that going. So we have a a, a, uh, match that doesn't matter at all. Um, and that ends impressively quickly. And, you know, we have to keep with like the Slytherins being the worst. Um, and so it's just like, all right, you know, here are the things that you need to keep in mind until we get you to the next chapter. But this thing is super important.
0: Yeah. It almost felt like, um, a sort of chapter that is written for specifically for the intended audience to kind of catch everybody up again on what you need to know going forward
2: um so i guess sort of the only things that i have um written down as things that amuse me um and i don't know remember why i didn't pick up on this before but defense against the dark arts is this like a nod to dadaism um <laughs> huh
0: yeah maybe i don't know <laughs> that's a uh, thought i've literally
2: never had <laughs> i probably This is just like my, you know, sitting and staring at things that I should not be (laughs) sitting and staring at for long periods of time. Um, The also, also the 666th birthday this year, I feel like is a, a big, like, this is something that, that, you know, maybe you should pay attention to. Sure. Um, and then the other thing, there are other couple of things that I thought were weird things to say. Or to emphasize, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, I I had some rumors that were there were some interesting things that, that you had to share, Sarah. So I will turn to you right after these two last things. Um, one was um, basically Snape is watching over the match, and you know a lot of things are going on in this Quidditch match, and and basically it seems like uh, Rowling is basically trying to say everything's hectic at this point in time. And then Mm -hmm. it's something Scarlet shot. uh, He turned just in time to see something Scarlet shoot past him. Missing him by inches. The next second, Harry had pulled out of the dive, raised his arm in triumph, the snitch clasped in his hand. And I guess I assume the ropes are Scarlet. Mm -hmm. And and so like I assume this was Harry Potter, but I feel like it was just a weird way of saying like what was happening and maybe that Snape wasn't paying attention or whatever. But like it just is like... Lots of stuff is going on and the ref can't pay attention and then like something flashes past him and it's like, wait a minute, it's just Harry on his broom. Like, why didn't you say that? Um,
0: There might be reasons why Snape was not paying attention
2: during this match. I'm I'm not going to (laughs) like do that too much to Spencer. Sure. Um. And then the other thing that I thought was really weird to emphasize is um, when Harry's getting off of his broom and it's like, and he got off when it was a foot above the ground, which is just like, (laughs) I I feel like a very weird thing to say. Because then (laughs) I'm thinking about like, well, how do you dismount from a broom when you're riding it? You know, is, is it sort of like you park it? You, you like stop it kind of like a motorcycle and then like unhitch and then like at some point it just like stops floating or flying or however they get it to do the voodoo that it does or do do you like sit up weirdly like climbing a pole like with the the sweepy part like on the ground <laughs> like how how does the physics of this work that it it, it isn't very weird and I can't think of I don't think I remember what happens in the movies or if you ever see that in particular, but it just seems like a very weird thing that is super awkward in dismounting a broom. And because she said it that way, I thought about it and I should not have gone down <laughs> that hole either. That's um, like
0: remembering that you have a tongue in your mouth.
2: Oh, <laughs> yes. don't put that thought back in my head. <laughs> um And, you know, something itches somewhere and you have to put your tongue somewhere and your teeth are wet and all those like weird things that people bring up. And then it's like, all right. Um, but, but those are the things that I noticed and then thought about way too long because there wasn't any entertaining puns or any, you know, fun words that, Mm -hmm. that I had to play with this week. Um, but Sarah, you said you had some interesting facts to share. And so I am, I am thoroughly curious. Well, Yielding your time? <laughs> um, you, yes, I, I yield I, my time to the uh, <laughs> representative from North Carolina.
0: I uh, graci- graciously accept uh, said time. So I have what I think is a fun fact. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like how you're couching it and you're like. All right, this is this is my little thing. Please. This is in recognition. Of,
1: this is recognition of the hostile audience you have before you in each of these weeks. <laughs>
2: um. So
0: this title is, or this chapter is titled Nicholas Flamel, and we have obviously talked a bit about Nicholas Flamel in previous chapters because he has come up, he is one of the sort of linchpins of solving whatever mystery it is that we're in. Did you all know Nicholas Flamel, real person? what? Did not. Yes. Uh, He was an actual well and actually I put actual in quotes like he didn't a person called Nicholas Flamel lived um, and he was known to be an alchemist he lived in Mm -hmm. France in the 14th and 15th centuries which lines up with the research that Hermione does he had a wife named Purnell also lines up with the research that Hermione does Um, and in fact if you go to Paris you can visit his one of his houses
2: and he would have been born around the time that he uh-huh. would have been 666 that year uh-huh yeah
1: I, i'm continually impressed that the characters in this book are consistently either real people or people grounded mythology that have been made real mm-hmm. she's this is purposely not being an entirely separate world
0: yeah no this so, is like the, the the kind of mythos around this guy is that he was a creator he was an alchemist he was a creator of the sort of philosopher's stone um and actually the house where he lived that you can visit in Paris is now, is on a street that is now called the Rue de Flamel. Um, and the cross street is the Rue de Pernelle, which is named after his wife. Check <laughs> cameo. Um,
2: yeah. So I thought it was quite, I, f- I find it quite interesting how um, the, it, it's called the Sorcerer's Stone and it, in the American version, which is very um, disappointing, but I'm also kind of like fascinated at like the Al, chemistry and and alchemists sort of like version of things that gets very interesting and weird and and sort of how it has a an incredibly long history that sort of like wandered into chemistry at some point and so um there was a um organization that I was part of and an undergrad that did go into at least some of the history of of alchemists and like the things that that they were part of and oh, so wow. it's sort of fascinating to see it come up every so often
0: and here it is in one Nicholas Flamel. Yes. So if we would like to do a um, pottering around field trip at some point, we could go and visit. Straight back to the source.
1: Yeah. Uh, can we write that off as a tax expense for our tickets to Paris?
2: Uh, well, sure. so that as seems like we... your purview. You know, I'd... I shouldn't
1: ask these questions.
2: <laughs> yeah. As soon as we start Mangum Talks LLC, <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so, well, I guess, uh, shall we turn it over to Newbie's Notes? And yeah. then uh, I have a feeling where your house points might go, but... <laughs> oh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see.
0: Uh, right. Spencer, what have you got for us?
2: Well, I had a few. Uh,
1: as you guys said, this is a very short chapter. I think this was all of like 12 or 13 pages. But there are some things to unpack and things I reacted to as we went through. First of all is, again, this is a really interesting system for house points that people, particularly teachers, are allowed to be just flagrantly biased with no effort made to hide it at all everyone goes into this knowing that snape is going to try to screw them over and even with dumbledore watching in the 5 minutes of this match he just starts making up random penalties mm-hmm. and there's apparently no repercussions for this nor like you know system to request recusal of a very clearly bo- aiming against you professor so
0: i would also can i yeah. just interject here for a second because Please. like who who let Snape be a referee to begin with he does not I strike was me silly... as a sports fan in the world and I'm no, not sure a he a... has the necessary qualifications to do so no
1: I picture him just getting pissed that he's even there mm-hmm. um but yeah, you know, the fact that everybody reacts with utter surprise that he's doing it, like it's a foreign concept that he would, <laughs> suggests that it's not like random lottery that he actually volunteered for this for the purpose
2: of screwing over Gryffindor. Well, but which, but but, but mm-hmm. you say that, but okay, so well, all right, no, no, no I'll I'll let you finish. This is going to be part <laughs> of my pestering Sarah with questions. Okay. Um, he,
1: again, he gets in ten penalties in five minutes. He, who knows what would have happened if they hadn't ended the game quick. Uh, next point. Uh, I sympathize with Hermione that she sucks at chess, because, again, <laughs> if chess is the measure of intelligence, I am a low-grade moron. Uh, so I am with her there. One thing I did really like about this chapter is that it shows the evolution of the friendship between our three main characters, and increasingly Neville, too, of where we've seen their... Fr- we've hurt heard- Heard it very much announced that they're best friends forever. This is one of the chapters that really just struck me of what a good rapport they now have and how natural it is between them, of where they're constantly playing games, having a banter. There's none of the tension that there was in the early chapters. And so it's been really, it is fun to see the evolution of their friendship as they reach just a very much a state of comfort around each other. Also, their banter was just funny, as they're constantly throwing various little barbs at each (laughs) other and everyone's just taking it well. Um... Neville was fun to watch over this chapter, as it seems like this is a character that may actually have an arc over this story, whereas I previously thought that he was going to be really one note. But he's still the worst. He's no, no, he isn't anymore. Neville, I might actually. What's wrong with Neville,
2: He's like a sniveling. Like I get that they're all (laughs) children, but like he's a sniveling like he's just like oh everybody's picking on me and then like harry says like oh no you're worth 12 of him and then he's like i'm worth 12 of you and it's like okay i, I don't yeah, know and I just
1: and then apparently throws himself pretty much individually at two very large slytherin bullies he gets his ass knocked out flat and to a degree that he still hasn't apparently woken up yet but you know kudos this is a character that appears that as you said his role to this moment has been to be the incompetent guy that everyone else is just kind of sighing at. He messes up, he constantly hurts himself, he's a quivering coward. But, this is one of the moments that we see that he can be more than that when people support him. And it was kind of heartwarming to see that, as per always, Hermione's been backing him up, but now even Harry is taking the moment to offer some words of encouragement. And it works! He seizes on it. We're seeing a, through that a bit of a different side to Harry's character, because most of what we've seen of him so far is him being kind of starry-eyed, amazed at the world, and being headstrong to the point that where you're just counting on luck that his stupidity doesn't blow up in his face. Here we're seeing some elements of leadership qualities, and it works for uh, supporting Neville. It leads to immediate, you know, possibly brain trauma and a coma, but, you know, moment of bravery. Kudos worth it gives him credit where it, where it, where it happens uh like you BJ, i was pissed off at sorcerer's stone really wish i bought the british version if i had that option on amazon <laughs> uh i increasingly amused that all of that apparently all entries about wizards in either books or on the back of cards still kind of read like dating profiles of where i really am just amused by the fact that when introducing nicholas flamel it goes mr nicholas flamel the noted alchemist and opera lover it's like okay they're liking to get in a little bit to trivia about what particular forms of music each of these people enjoys or he maybe given that he's Dumbledore's friend and Dumbledore had the same thing on his card he just insisted to have that information put in to this ancient book of history
0: listen Spencer just because you work all the time does not mean that other people are not more than their professions
1: you know maybe it's a certain degree of envy that's at play when I'm making a <laughs> comment on this Um, Otherwise, what are the things I got? Uh, I really hope they don't do betting on uh, Quidditch matches because Harry is really fucking with the stats. Really (laughs) fucking with them. With these quick wins he's putting out, people are losing money on these things. And last point. uh, Book has again, and this is, we've talked about this before. The book has been really framing this as Quirrell and Snape are the two people you should be looking at uh, with respect to all of the various not fully yet understood, at least by me, shenanigans that are going on with respect to this uh, Philosopher's Stone that is now, they assume, is now being stored at, at Hogwarts. This chapter is very intentionally and carefully setting it up There's at least two plausible interpretations of what Harry overhears when he sees Snape and Coral talking in the, uh, what is it, is it the Dark Forest? What is it? Was The, the forest
0: Forbidden Forest.
1: Sure, it's probably also dark, too. <laughs> um, but... Harry obviously interprets this as being that Snape is essentially trying to browbeat Quirrell into going along with his plan to steal this object for some nefarious purpose. And I enjoy the line at the end that apparently, the the quote, So you mean the stone's only safe as long as Quirrell stands up to Snape, said Hermione in alarm. Oh, it'll be gone by next Tuesday, said Ron. (laughs) That's fun and funny. But... I, who I'm assuming based on the fact that apparently everybody loves Snape and he apparently is, is either, not, either not the villain or people like a villain, I'm assuming from that just background knowledge that there's going to be some shoe that drops here and they're misrepresenting what a dark character he can be, other than just being an asshole, which puts it on Quirrell. And then the alternative interpretation of the scene is that Snape is confronting Quirrell because he knows what Quirrell is himself trying to pull. Book's offering both these interpretations, it's just giving us the text to read how we want. Harry's going in one direction, we'll see where that goes. I am not convinced, and I'm waiting to learn more. That's only because you're an adult. This is possible, yes.
0: Well, stay, but, stay know, tuned, Spencer.
1: <laughs> for like another three books. I, mean, I, I do like that she's not, with respect to this kind of scene, she's presenting how the character interprets it, but she is still leaving it open to the reader to have their own opportunity. We're not he- hearing Harry just describe what he saw, yes. we're seeing it played out, and then we're seeing how he chooses to interpret it himself, but we still have our own free reign to do how we want, and that is fun, that is, you know, we've talked before that a quality mystery is one where the author gives you all the pieces and lets you potentially put them together. It's not, not where something is just pulled out of left field at the end, or things are hidden from the reader that they could never worked out. Here, she's given us all kinds of material to interpret this how we want, and that is a mark of her being a good writer, and I like
2: that. I'm excited to see how you deal with anagrams.
1: Uh, you know, you guys have got me so damn paranoid that I'm now spending time looking at the chapter titles for each one of these and just seeing whether <laughs> an anagram. I looked at Nicholas Flamel for a very long time to say, okay, what is, un- what is there to unpack here? I'm going to get this. I didn't. I'm glad to know I wasn't supposed to. But you've got me paranoid now.
0: Spencer, you looked at that chapter title so long you forgot to do a Wikipedia spiral on it.
1: That, yes, that, very much that. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. If someone else has seduced this, I don't want to be told. I'm going to piece it out.
0: I know, but then you would have known that Nicholas Flamel is a real person.
1: Yeah, you know, chess nanograms, <laughs> my mortal enemies.
0: Um. All right, so is it house point time? House point time. Um, so there was an indication that you thought you knew where my house points were going to go. Do you want to do some predictions?
1: Neville. Yeah.
0: Neville is it's the winner. Day.
1: Yeah. Well deserved. Well deserved. Justify it.
0: Well, you're right. Although Hermione was a close second. Um, Neville did develop a spine.
2: <laughs> it was broken by two oh, large Yeah,
0: feet. much to his chagrin, he developed and- a spine. <laughs>
2: Hermione was the only one that was willing to help a friend rather than laugh at him. Yes.
0: He Well, she both sort of dealt with the leg locker curse. um, And she also just happened to have this giant book that had Nicholas Lamel in it, uh, which was was helpful in the sort of progression of the thing. The loser for the chapter um, of House Points is no matter what happens in the sort of scenario that you have set up, Spencer. Professor Quirrell is the loser in this chapter because he could be pure evil, but the fact that he has to meet with Snape in the Forbidden Forest at night is a disaster.
1: Oh, that's a really good call there because A, Snape comes across as a, Snape is doing a power play with respect to the scene no matter what way you interpret it. Mm -hmm. Either A, he's trying to browbeat Quirrell to go along with his nefarious scheme, in which case coral is going to collapse like a like the wet tissue that he is if you're buying this interpretation or B he assumes that coral is maybe a dark wizard and a bad guy and yet he calls him out to the middle of the dark forest and basically says you don't want to mess with me and coral just blanches and has no response
0: to bring it back to a another offering of the manga talks uh, media Empire I believe that Roy of the episode <laughs> is Snape
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah very fair
0: um,
1: um, and if you, you're not
0: listening to mangan talks TV you should be you
1: you did remind me of one I kind of want to watch the movie again or maybe at all cause now I'm increasingly doubting I may even maybe even watched all of the first film but <laughs> that scene of when uh, Ron and Neville are fighting off the three Slytherin including Malfoy while Hermione is not paying attention at all but apparently there's just a tumult of fists happening behind her was well, it just a fun bit of described physical comedy <laughs> that I would be curious to see on the screen?
0: Well, maybe at new Year's, Spencer.
1: <laughs> all right. Um, you, you've, you've increasingly set up like 35 things we're all going to do on new year's now.
0: Yes. Um, so questions.
2: Yeah. Um, Spencer, do you have a, uh, burning question that you want to ask?
1: Uh, Question uh, about... Can you tell me about Philosopher's Stones? Or is that something that's just going to get into too much possible spoilery material? Oh, just generally? Harry Potter or generally? Well, with respect to this text, it's kind of more of a question just about these kind of special magical artifacts Mm -hmm. like that, of where this is described as a a one-off kind of thing, Mm -hmm. that there is only one in existence. For these kind of things that people are aware that they exist... um, are they suggesting that this kind of magic can be discovered by individuals and then kept secret or that it's forgotten magic in some way? How do these all-encompassing powerful artifacts come about and then stay individual?
0: That's a real—that's a really good question, because we do encounter a couple of the, these different types of artifacts throughout the course of this series. Um, I would, and weirdly, they are all related in ways that come up. Later, um, mm-hmm. I huh. would suggest that in the case of the philosopher's stone, um, the information that we get is that Nicholas Flamel invents it, and mm-hmm. his is the only known one in existence, as you pointed out. Um, it's hard to say that that is forgotten magic because Nicholas Flamel is still alive at this point,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and wife apparently. Yeah.
0: But it is, it's unclear sort of why, why he was the only one who was able to create it. Um, if it has something to do with some sort of potentially forgotten magic that he learned through some means, or if it was something that he kind of discovered in a sort of alchemical firestorm or whatever, I don't, I don't know. Um, but he has, he has certainly not passed this knowledge on. Nor has he recreated it for his own profit or gain. Um, and I think that we get the sense that that is partially because he pretty quickly after creating the philosopher's stone recognized the kind of double sided nature of all of the things that it gave him. Um, other, other artifacts that we get that are kind of one-off artifacts are usually, um. Also, kind of generationally inherited,
2: and like the cloak of invisibility, like
0: the cloak of invisibility. Although we do see some kind of pale, uh, some some paler, less effective versions of it. Nothing is quite the same as this particular invisibility cloak, um, mm-hmm. which suggests that it is different in some way, and um, there are certain other kind of magical artifacts that seem to be passed along that have characteristics inherent to them that are different from the type of magic that is being done today or the the power of magic that is being done today we don't get a lot of sense of like how that comes about except in one case well we do get one kind of option for how these things might happen which is from great personal sacrifice and kind of given that great personal sacrifice there are just very few people who are willing to go to those lengths to create these kind of one-off objects. But it's Hmm. unclear if that's the case with kind of
2: all of these things. Interesting. So I have a follow-up question Mm -hmm. uh, to these. Uh, So one uh, is relatively straightforward, which is, um, how old is everybody? Like door Oh, uh, oh, I was telling us? or. (laughs) Well, I mean, sure. I'm going to call you out right now. What is your age for for our listeners? Um, So it says that Dumbledore is his, like, lab partner, essentially. Mm -hmm. Are we to assume that Dumbledore is, like, 600 years old?
0: No. Um, Dumbledore met and worked with Nicholas Flamel later in Nicholas Flamel's life. But because he had this immortality, they were kind of essentially at the same age. At least in terms of sort of... Ability and physical physical appearance I think Dumbledore is meant to be well, human old human old um 80s I think I'm not entirely sure early 80s I think okay. late 70s and early pretty, 80s yeah
1: and suggested to be pretty spry for his and age and very
0: spry for his age yeah
2: um and Snape, then the other one. Oh, is... sorry
0: Snape is the age if you had mentioned Snape Snape is the age of Harry's parents
2: okay so well yes that I know that yeah um I, that's I, interesting. Yeah. Don't you, don't think about it too much, Spencer. Like like
1: like, like the the same
2: age? Like, don't don't think about it too much, Spencer. <laughs> You'll just get into a weird hole. It's fine. Um Are They classmates? And my other question Being ignored. is um, <laughs> so they talk about like the power to turn things into gold as like kind of like an ultimate power. Like, you know, mm-hmm. on, essentially on par with immortality, which is insane. Like, I get sort of why that would have been a thing in, like... Actual alchemy. Yeah, 1400 Spain, that makes a lot of sense. In the wizarding world in, in, you know, somewhere in the UK, it makes a lot less sense, sort of, given that they're like the money that they have has nothing to do with the society that they live in. And also money and the economy just makes absolutely no sense in the wizarding world. But like, even like glossing over all of that, like the normal things that wizards are able to seemingly do day to day, like why is gold a thing?
0: So, I mean, you can make, you can do processes and sort of change things around, but you can't, it's it is very difficult to actually create things through magic
2: you actually what the philosopher's stone does it turns one metal to another metal yeah transmutes yeah it trans yes it transmutes thank you okay so Uh, anyways yeah
0: that's fair and i mean i don't i don't know why this is particularly difficult but like throughout the books it is not a thing that you can actually do And there are sort of like fool's gold versions of things that are made that cause all kinds of problems. I I assume it's a
2: a touchstone for parents that are reading this for their kids or something like that. Um, but one of the things that I find really amusing is, um, there are some somewhat earlier, um, experiments in physics where, uh, they decided to turn lead into gold because that's something that we can do for literally the only reason of this was something that was in alchemy for a very long time and what the philosopher's (laughs) stone was supposed to do and so once we understood like enough nuclear physics to do it we did and it was like the most expensive gold ever produced (laughs) but it was like hey we can do this now it's not worth it but we totally did but just so you know yeah
1: question Here's here's a thought um the, remind me, the name of the coin, the main coin, it, I forget its name, I think it started with a G. It's a galleon. Um, hey, that's right. Uh, it is made of gold, right? Yes. Uh, it's also if, a big ship. That is true, too. Thank you for the historical knowledge, <laughs> PJ. Um, if, indeed, you can't make gold by normal means, that it is impossible to transmute, except, cause one, except for one guy that knows it, then that, making the main coin out of gold seems like the ultimate counterfeiting measure. Um... That it's just, it it would be the basis of the currency because it's the one thing that people can't fake. So it would still yeah. be incredibly valuable to be able to do that because their entire system of numismatic value is based around this is the one thing that's immune to magic. So yeah. that, that would potentially be
2: incredibly valuable. Yeah, but they have like elf miners or something that they're just going to like mine all of the gold. <laughs> like I, I feel like the, We've yes, they can't that. produce gold, but like...
0: No, they do. I mean, they do mine gold, like that is, but I do think that the the point that you can't, for whatever reason, and I don't pretend to know why, you can't just create gold from something else um, as a wizard, I think does speak to your point, Spencer, about sort of like the new definition of the gold standard in the wizarding <laughs> world.
1: I mean, it would be an incredible amount of power if you could essentially just break the entire economic system through developing this magic that everything is working under the assumption does not exist or can't be done uh, so yeah I can understand then why this classic alchem- alchemical principle would be valuable even in the wizard- wizarding world now as BJ said if they're just able to make infinite gold by secret mines digging down to the center of the earth rather than you know like the only certain numbers of swimming pools full that we can actually do in our real world, that theory goes out the window. But I'm sticking to it for now. Uh, Another thought just also occurred to me too, but uh, Nicholas Femell, his wife is also presumably using this same Philosopher's Stone to to gain immortality. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm guessing it's probably regular treatments in some way that do this, rather than it just being something you take once and are used forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is one hell of a prenup, essentially, there. In the event that our marriage ever falls apart, you're just gonna, you know, die.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Sorry.
1: That's a a really weird
2: place to go with it, (laughs) It, it,
1: sometimes. Sometimes your lawyering
2: really shows through.
1: Nope, that's, yeah, that's straight up that. But it occurred to me as I'm reading this thing, uh, well, that's nice that they're still married after all these years,
0: but there may be a certain degree (laughs)
1: of pressure on the play. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I hadn't considered that, but it is, yeah, it's a hell of a reason to stay together.
2: So... I have one more question that I think is gonna be very short. Um, which is what house is Snape in? Slytherin. Okay. He is so, the head
0: of Slytherin House and was a Slytherin when he was a student.
2: Okay. That so that was my assumption. Um so then there's the follow up to that, which is why does Snape having it why does Snape have it out for Gryffindor and it's just that he wants Gryffindor to lose to Hufflepuff to knock them back in the tournament or but he's giving Hufflepuff a bunch of uh flags on the play like that whole like Snape has it out for me yet he's giving a lot of of uh you know whatever flags or demerits to to Hufflepuff just like that whole thing was just like I under didn't make sense to me.
0: So he's giving advantages to Hufflepuff in this game.
2: Okay. Yeah, he's You're giving, like, penalty shots Gryffindor.
0: to Hufflepuff. Gotcha. Okay. Against Gryffindor, yeah. It, I think it's phrased all... weirdly, maybe. It, it, yeah. This is
1: all for the goal that he needs Gryffindor to lose, so they essentially go down in the standings and don't ri- run the risk of them surpassing Slytherin? Yeah,
0: because Hufflepuff, however the points stand, Hufflepuff is never going to pre- to pass Slytherin, who has held the um sort of Quidditch cup for the past seven years but if Gryffindor does win this game then they do do pass Slytherin in the sort of points system um so he's giving every advantage that he possibly can to Hufflepuff but to no avail
1: you know I I appreciate that summary I'm also a little bit offended that you're saying my house had no chance of ever getting the cup but you know I'll I'll bear that
0: (laughs) well we'll see you later <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right.
2: Well, in, in,
1: any other any other questions, PJ? I think I'm
2: pretty good. I so many, but we'll save them for for later episodes.
0: <laughs> All right. So we got through this weird little chapter. Um, we did. What, what do we have next?
2: Um, we have the next chapter. Um, <laughs> it it a is very Norbert, amusing title. The Norwegian Ridgeback um and it has a picture of a dragon popping out of an egg Mm -hmm. um so so hopefully given that title um i'm excited that there might be some amusing words and wordplay (laughs) in the next chapter well i will certainly
0: say that the sort of um mundaneness of this chapter will be i believe made up for in spades next week
1: i'm looking forward to it are we off okay I'll stop recording. I wasn't sure if we stopped. (laughs) Eh, fine.